this is really amazing. So if you know a little bit about CTK, we are a network of six churches. And um, for the first time ever, you're going to see a, a video here, but, but we're actually, for, um, for this building, we, not just our church, but as a network, we're trying to raise $140,000 to renovate that space. But we're not on our own. Um, let's play the video, and, and you'll see what I'm talking about. So excited to partner with the CTK Network in remodeling our new building in downtown Blaine. It's called the Heart of Blaine Campaign. Check out this video from Pastor Grant. Well, hi there. My name is Grant Fishbook, and I'm a part of the CTK Network executive team. One of the great parts about being part of a network of churches is that we can have a far greater reach together than we can have alone. And I want to share one way that's being realized right now. In 2018, Pastor Tyler Mitchell and a committed group from CTK North Bay launched a new church in the furthest north corner of our county, Blaine, Washington. Since then, CTK Blaine has been meeting in several rented locations, a community center, and an existing church building that's tucked away in a Blaine neighborhood. But this past June, the CTK Network had the opportunity to purchase this building where I'm standing today at 674 Peace Portal Drive, right in the heart of downtown Blaine. And not long from now, this empty building will be a place of hope, forgiveness, and a new life for CTK Blaine and the community they care so much about. As the extended CTK family, we now have an amazing opportunity to make this house into a home. For the first time in our history, all six campuses in the CTK network are joining together to raise the money needed to transform this space into a welcoming environment for an entire community. You know, if we all sacrifice a little, we can lighten the burden for CTK Blaine and the impact will be for all of eternity. Our goal to get the building up and running is $140,000. So I'm going to ask you to pray and ask God what he wants you to do so that this dream can become a reality. You can find out more about the project at ctk.church slash heart of Blaine. And if you want to give online, you can choose the Blaine Building Fund. I'm looking forward to seeing what God can accomplish through all of us as we bless the heart of Blaine. Mm. Yeah, we can give it up for that. Um, it is amazing to have a whole county wrap around what, uh, what God's doing here. And uh, this video that I just showed you is being played at all six campuses this morning. And we're, we're, uh, we're calling people to give to what God's doing. Um, so I'm, I'm excited. I would encourage you to pray about what God wants you to do personally. Um, you saw the, the website link, ctk.church, Heart of Blaine. We're entering into a season where, where I'm so excited for, for what God's doing downtown. And as, as we've kind of stuck our toes out there, it's cool to see con new connections being made, um, being way more accessible to our community, and really, really gets at, we're moving into the heart of Blaine. And so it's just something so awesome, and uh, I want everybody to be a part of it. So, uh, well, hey, this morning... Um, this morning, I'm really excited, too, because um, we get to hear from my friend Karma. Uh, Karma is on our advisory team here at CTK Blaine. She's, she's a leader. She's a, she's a counselor and works for in, in Getty Refuge uh, here in town. And so I'm just excited for her to share. She's going to continue our prayer series. So let's welcome Karma up this morning. Okay. 
I either can see my notes or I can see you. So I'm choosing my notes. No offense. You look really nice. Um, who's wondering how to say my last name? Yeah. Okay, it's like this, you guys. Roots asunder. There you go. It's roots is under the house, as they say in the South. So roots is under. Okay. I had a few asks, so I thought I'd just make an announcement um, to get started here today. So as Tyler said, we are uh, walking through a series on prayer. Did Tyler say that? I'm saying it. So there we go. Okay. We're walking through a series on prayer. Tyler kicked it off a couple weeks ago. And um, he kicked it off by teaching through Luke 11, the Lord's Prayer, in that. And then uh, we've been walking through the acronym PRAY, P-R-A-Y. It's pause, rejoice, ask, and yield. And for those of you who want um, a little bit more information about that, there is a handout um, to the right of the stairs as you go out. And today we're going to be um, talking more about rejoicing the R in the acronym. And as an anchor point and a practice to this series, we want to kick our series or, or teaching off every week by saying the Lord's Prayer out of Luke 11 together. So would you guys stand with me? And we'll see if it's on the slides. And then let's just let's say this prayer together. You guys ready? All right. Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone who sins against us. And lead us not into temptation. Amen. Thank you. So today we're going to be focusing on the opening lines of this prayer. Father, hallowed be your name as we consider together what we can learn about prayer through what Jesus gave us as a starting point. And so, hallowed. It's not a word we use a lot, right? It means to greatly revere and honor. Jesus teaches us to begin our prayers in this posture of reverence and awe, reminding us to slow and humble ourselves before our Father, to consider the magnitude that God is our Father. We're talking to Him. He's listening to us. He's talking to us. Pete Gregg, in this book that Tyler has recommended, I'm going to like step on these. Drop them and then step on them and then I'm not going to be able to see on my way home. But Pete Gregg said in this book that Tyler recommended, which I would also recommend, so I'm joining my voice to his if that matters. Um, it's very, very, very good. Um, no one stares up at the northern lights thinking, wow, I'm incredible. We are hardwired to wonder and therefore to worship. The Lord's Prayer begins with an invitation to adoration. As I've been preparing this sermon, I've really done some reflecting on my prayers, and I realize how often I enter prayer really quickly, and I'm just like efficient. I just get right into what I need. And I think there's something more there. Um, even though I believe that we were made for worship, I'm often too hurried to always include worship in my prayers. 
in an intentional way. So I'm excited to take some time together as we sort of think through that and consider what it means to rejoice in our prayers. First, what does it mean to rejoice? And is it just, you know, breaking out an old VBS song? I've got the joy, 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 joy down in my heart. <laughs> Who knows the next part? Where's Kelly Tusky when I need her? I mean, <laughs> there you go. thank you, Bonnie. Yeah, yeah. Um, certainly rejoicing is about being happy, right? And the emotion that we feel in a good experience. But there could be more to it than that. I think there is. Um, so let's get a little nerdy for a minute. Um, the root word of rejoice is joy. So rejoice is the verb. Joy is the noun. And Google defines rejoice as feel or show great joy or delight. But Tim Mackey at the Bible Project considers it through a biblical lens. And it's a little deeper than that. He defines biblical joy, the Hebrew word is kata, I think. I probably should have scratched my throat a little to say that right. But it's an attitude God's people adopt, not because of happy circumstances, but because of their hope in God's love and promise. We're going to think about that a bit together today. God is at the center of all adoration and joy that we offer. It's not just a feeling, although feelings are part of it. It is an attitude. This means we can rejoice when things are good and when things are difficult. And this posture of really honoring our Father and rejoicing in Him and putting God at the center of our world where, you know, we're surrendered and submitted to Him, honestly, it doesn't come very easily to me. Not only am I in a hurry, but my entire world is kind of, has me at the center of it, if I'm honest. I'm single, so it's even harder. <laughs> And everything around me, all the commercials and all the self-help gurus say, that's right. I should be the center of my world. I deserve it. What's the L'Oreal commercial? I'm worth it. Um, <laughs> and so it, it's like, this is different, right? To consider that I'm not the center of the universe. God is. And if my prayers are all about me, is God really at the center? So I think this is why pausing, as Tyler taught us last week, is so important. When we slow down and we pause and we consider who we're relating to, maybe we can't help but rejoice. Just as David did in Psalm 8, 3 to 4. When I consider your heavens and the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is mankind that you're mindful of them? Human beings that you care for them. That's just awe coming out of the poet, right? And I think King David and Pete Gregg are onto something here. When we sit under a starry sky or a sky with the northern lights or the moon. Did you guys see the moon on Thursday? That was breathtaking, right? When we see that, we can't help but rejoice and be in awe of this God that we worship. This God we're in relationship with who listens to our prayers 
and longs to give good gifts to his children. This is also the same creator God who was hovering over the waters, and he brought beauty and life to chaos. And that same God sent Jesus into the world to seek and save those who were lost. And that same God is coming again on the clouds of glory. And God spoke about this, I'm sorry, Paul spoke about this in Romans 5, verse 8, saying, God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That's a good reason to rejoice. To sit in awe of him as we ponder this thing that, that just crosses all time and eternity. So a little word on awe. I'm a counselor, as Tyler mentioned. And it's, it's interesting. Many researchers in my field are now researching awe as like this really interesting part of human growth. The New York Times recently printed an article about this, and they quoted Dr. Keltner, a psychologist at UC Berkeley, and he says, awe is critical to our well-being, just like joy, contentment, and love. The article goes on to report that um, awe has health benefits that include calming down your nervous system and triggering the release of oxytocin, which is the love hormone that bonds people. It's what gets released when we have a baby and when we feed babies and other times, other key moments in our relationship. So I think this is super cool. <laughs> I love it when science catches up to God. So <laughs> God has made us in such a way that when we rejoice and are in awe of our creator, it releases chemicals in us that allows us to bond more with the person we're in awe of. Like, that's remarkable, isn't it? Is it just me? <laughs> ah, wonder, worship. This is the starting place of our prayers. So, how do we do this when we're suffering? Because sometimes things are hard, right? Sometimes fuel prices and food prices just keep going up. And there's war, and there's fires in Maui. And sometimes your dear friend is fighting for his last breath. And people you love are sick, and they can't figure out what's wrong. And that is hard to rejoice in those moments, right? It's in those moments where it's like, really? I got to be happy in this? But remember, we aren't rejoicing in our circumstances, but in who God is, and because we have hope in him and his presence. It's not fake joy in the middle of difficulty. It isn't slapping a bumper sticker, platitude on something, and pretending it's okay. It's not lying to ourselves. Um, we know deep in our bones when we're lying to ourselves about pretending to be okay when we're not. <laughs> And it's not about lying to God either to appease an angry God. This isn't a cosmic mind game that we're playing, hoping that we'll get what we want. <laughs> um, to rejoice in suffering is to hold in tension the pain and the lament of a moment, while also knowing and believing in God's provision and goodness that exists, even in our pain. So when I rejoice, I'm able to believe that God is with me, that he is good, and that he will provide 
even if what he provides is not what I want, it's the right thing, right? When we study the Psalms, we see this modeled over and over again. King David in particular pours out his heart in the pain and the disillusionment while also holding in tension this joy at knowing that God is with him and that God will never leave him or never forsake him. So I want to take a little bit of time together to kind of walk through one of David's psalms and look at this together. And I chose Psalm 143. And so let's start by looking at that together. Hopefully it'll be up on the screen. Um, or you can pull out your screen and look at it on your phone. Oh, there we go. So it starts in verse 1 to 3. Lord, hear my prayer. Listen to my cry for mercy. In your faithfulness and righteousness, come to my relief. Do not bring your servant into judgment, for no one is living, no one living is righteous before you. The enemy pursues me, he crushes me to the ground. He makes me dwell in the darkness, like those long dead. Now, scholars disagree about what time in David's life this psalm was written, but he was either running from Saul or his son, <laughs> Absalom. Either way, hey, hard stuff, right? Like, this isn't, this isn't small. Someone's trying to hurt or kill him. And you may ask, Karma, where's the rejoicing in this psalm? Um, my gut is to say, oh, it's coming. It's in a couple of verses. But then I was thinking about this idea of joy being in an attitude God's people adopt, not just because of happy circumstances, but because of their hope in God's love and promise. And you can see David's hope in God's love and promise all throughout this, can't you? It's why he's crying out to God in the first place. God's faithfulness, God's righteousness, God's mercy compels him to turn to God when his life is in danger. Picking up at verse 5, I remember the days of long ago. I meditate on all your works and consider what your hands have done. This is where his knowledge of Israelite history comes in handy, right? Not only is Dave pro David probably meditating on his life, how God has shown up for him, but probably also meditating on all the times God showed up for his people. So he's meditating on God's character and faithfulness, and he remembers all the ways that God is trustworthy and saved his people, and this leads to rejoicing and guides his next prayers. I spread out my hands to you. I thirst for you like a parched land. Answer me quickly, Lord. My spirit fails. Do not hide your face from me, or I will go down like those who go, to, or I will be like those who go down to the pit. God turning away feels like the worst possible outcome for David. No matter what happens, just don't leave me alone. Doesn't that sound like Moses, too? Moses said that. The only way he imagines getting through it is by hope in God's power and presence. And then he goes on in verse 8. Let the morning bring me word of your unfailing love. For I have put my trust in you. Show me the way I should go. For to you I entrust my life. 
He has been rejoicing in who God is. He's been meditating on God's works. And then he says, I'm going to trust you. That led him to trust, right? He doesn't know what's going to happen in the morning, but he's trusting that God is going to bring good news, that he'll be rescued. This whole experience seems to grow his faith and his hope. And he is holding intention, adoration, need, petition, lament, rejoicing. It's gritty. It's resilient. It's real. And a little caveat, I like this psalm as an example because it's not neat and clean. We're teaching you acronyms right now, which are awesome, and they're really helpful ways of learning and remembering to, to bring things into our prayers. But sometimes I think we can get so caught up in the form that we kind of like can't quite like let ourselves go. And so I like David's example because he's just, it's just a big old mess. Like one minute he's just like, ah, help me. And then I, you're great. And then, you know, and it's just all over the place. And I think that is often what we have to do, right? But just don't forget rejoicing in the middle of it. That's, that's I think, what we can learn there. Okay. So back to rejoicing um, when things are hard. One of the reasons some of us might struggle to rejoice in our prayers is because sometimes we're not always sure we like God or trust him. And that feels a little bit like heretical to say in church. Um, but I think it's true sometimes. The last few years have been really difficult for a lot of people, particularly in the American evangelical space, and there's a lot of people who are disillusioned with the church. They're questioning their faith. They're deconstructing their faith. Some of us were raised in traditions that taught us to be very afraid of God. The kind of fear that's sort of reserved for angry and cruel bullies who are out to get you if you mess up. And that's sort of the version of the God I knew when I was younger. I remembered the stories that I'd learned in Sunday school of God smiting the Israelites. Um, I know what that means, right? That was an important word to learn. Um, unfortunately, I didn't understand this. Um, I didn't understand it, that it was part of a story that was bigger, that pointed to Jesus and salvation. God just seemed kind of mad all the time. And it was this angry God that I ran from when I went through my divorce. I made a lot of choices out of pain, a lot of sinful choices, choices that shocked even me. And for years, I went into hiding. I was afraid to walk into a church. Um, I was sort of afraid I'd get struck down, if not by God, then maybe by the people. Um, and when I did start going back to church, it was like I tiptoed in and hoped nobody would see me, including God. I, I was hoping maybe he didn't know I was there either. I was so aware of all the bad things I had done and the people that I had hurt. I didn't like me, and I could not imagine how a perfect and holy and angry God could ever have any time for me. But I was desperate. And he did not leave me there hiding in isolation because even though I didn't know him as good, 
he was good. And he was full of loving kindness and compassion, mercy, grace. He drew me back to himself through a few of his faithful followers who just loved me with this crazy unconditional love that made no sense and can only come from God, right? And eventually I kind of realized that I needed to get to know this God my friends were talking about instead of the God of my imagination and youth. Who was this God? Could I trust him? Would he forgive me? Was he safe? So I started reading Isaiah. Um, I read it with the hope of understanding God's character. I wouldn't recommend starting there. I'd say, like, John would be a better place to start. Um, but it worked for me, so um, God knew what he was doing. Then I just kept reading. And as I met God in the pages and in my life through people, I could do nothing but fall on my knees in awe. And it wasn't a starry sky that got me there that time or in those years. <laughs> it was pain. And it was mercy and forgiveness. And I just wanted to be close to him. Once I figured out who he was, I could not get close enough. I was aware of how much I needed him. You know, meditating just on God's holiness can sometimes make us realize our own unworthiness and maybe cause us to hide a little bit unless it's paired with the, the message of the gospel. The entirety of the Bible is the story of God restoring his people and making a way for us to be in relationship with him, restoring Eden. So the reality before sin entered the picture, before shame and hiding behind fig leaves. God has been working across time and space to prepare a way for a Savior to come in the person of Jesus. We aren't enough on our own. Sorry if you thought you were. I just totally ruined things for you. Um, we're not enough. I can't tell you how much as a counselor that is the biggest fear for people. What if I'm not enough? And the good news is you're not. <laughs> and you don't have to be because God is enough and he has made a way. Jesus, Jesus ushers in a new kingdom. The kingdom of heaven is here, he says. He sends his indwelling spirit to those who believe in him so that we can enter this new kingdom. And we can be forgiven. We can be washed clean. We can be made a new creation in him. I am a new creation. That's why I'm standing here. And we all are. That's a reason to rejoice, isn't it? Now, I understand a room like this represents different views and stages of this journey. Different levels of understanding God, of understanding grace, compassion, forgiveness. And if you're not sure where you're at, I urge you to keep asking questions. Keep searching. Don't give up. Keep reading the Bible. Get to know this God. Maybe come to Alpha class. Um, it's a really great place to ask those kinds of questions 
All this stuff I'm telling you out of my story, that's a really good place to ask those questions and to just be safe in figuring out the answers together. Um, when you really meet the God of redemption and restoration, restoration, rejoicing is just the most natural thing. So how do we do it? I've got a few tips. First, establish a regular practice. We know this. We have to do it regularly. Um, just like if you go to the gym and you're trying to build muscle, right? You got to do it. You can't do it once and, it's, and then be done. Um, it takes regular repetition, regular practice. We got to build our prayer muscles here during this series. So we have to get our reps in. So pray. And when you pray, rejoice. So how do you do that? I would suggest using the, the Bible as a prayer book. This is a Bible. <laughs> I don't know if you can tell because I got this weird cover. Um, I would suggest starting in the Psalms, but there are prayers of rejoicing all through the Bible. But the Psalms is a really great place to start. You just pray the words you find in the book. And, you know, the, the book of Psalms is an ancient hymnal. It's designed to be prayed together. And so when you pray the prayers in the book of Psalms, you're joining with the ancient praise of all God's people across time and space. It's like this huge cloud of witnesses that you're with. It's a little bit of heaven. And so let's practice this for a little bit. I'm going to just walk through this really quickly with you. Psalm 143. 1 to 3. I waited patiently for the Lord. He turned to me and he heard my cry. He lifted me out of the slimy pit, out of the mud and the mire. He set my feet on a rock and he gave me a firm place to stand. He put a new song in my mouth, a hymn of praise to our God. So you may pray this a couple of times. You just go through it. I would say three times is a great number. It's God's number. And it helps you kind of slow down and actually, like, it takes that third time to really connect your brain sometimes. You may consider, like, okay, where, where is my life kind of slimy right now? <laughs> where is God putting me in a rock? Who's my foundation in this? What's the new song he's put in my heart? And then you just pray that. Simple, right? Okay. Third, another really great option, and one very close to my heart, is singing. Um, singing worship and praise to God is rejoicing. We did it this morning. It was awesome. I heard your voices, and it was beautiful. Singing songs is such a powerful way to worship, because music gets past our thinking brain. It gets past the grocery list and the thing you got to fix. Um, and it accesses our right brain, our creative brain, and our emotions. And emotions are good when we're rejoicing. Let's do it. Um, put, a, put a worship song on in your car or your bathroom and sing it. You know, we can make any space sacred when we start singing these songs. And, but we have to pay attention to the words. And let the music fill us. I think sometimes we just kind of like it zones out. You know, I don't, at least it does for me. But it's these are songs we know. We can do this as we're going about our day. Great is thy faithfulness. Right? We know that song. Oh, God, my Father. 
or I love you, Lord, for your mercy never fails me, right? It's not about sounding good or being perfect. It's just like you're overcome and you sing the song. All my days I've been held in your hands. These are prayers of rejoicing. There's another point here I want to make really briefly. Um, This isn't a song on spiritual warfare, but I need to say, I'm sorry, a sermon on spiritual warfare. Worship is warfare. And some of you know my work (laughs) as a trauma counselor. I engage regularly in some really dark realities. Um, I, my job is to enter and sit in the space where people are literally wrestling with God and the dark forces. They're like on the cusp. And they're deciding who they're going to worship. And sometimes it is especially dark. The kinds of things they're working through are full of violence and pain and addiction and abuse of power. That's the enemy. And so over the past year, there's been a couple of really hard seasons. And I can clearly experience, ex- remember experiencing sort of the heaviness of God's war in the middle of that. And in one of these seasons, I was at a CTK network worship night. And if you haven't gone to one, I would try it. They do it every quarter. They're awesome. Um, And as I was in that room and I was worshiping with the saints, the darkness that had been oppressing me lifted. Worship is something we do in prayer alone, but it's also something we do together. And there is a special anointing when we worship together. It brings healing and freedom and release. And this is the God we worship. He uses music to fight battles. I love that. It was trumpets that took down the wall of Jericho, right? So God brings life and light through music and worship and adoration. And I think sometimes in our culture, we can kind of tend to lean towards like that individualistic sort of on our own private thing. And I am the number one person who does that. I am an introvert, y'all. You give me a room by myself, and I am a happy camper. Um, But if all I do is do this in my room by myself, I am missing out on something. Because there is something so beautiful in corporate worship. Things happen here together that don't happen alone. God anoints it. He inhabits the praises of his people. We have to do this together. So this week, I want to invite you to go deeper in this. And so I have a suggested practice for you. Um, There's a couple of ways that you can approach this. But I would like you to try every day if you can. This is an invitation. You don't have to do it. But boy, don't miss out. Um, Boy or girl. Uh, Y'all, y'all don't miss out. Um, (laughs) Pray prayers of rejoicing at least once a day. And I would suggest opening your Bible to the middle part, (laughs) the Psalms. It's a big book. 
um, and just picking a psalm. If you're already great at this and you're doing it all the time, just keep doing what you're doing. That's awesome. And, um, but if you feel like, I, I, I could learn. I'm not really sure how to do this. That was me. Um, the other option, too, is there's an app called Lectio 365, and it kind of follows this P-R-A-Y acronym we've been using. And I love it. I've learned a lot about rejoicing just using this app because there's always a little bit at the beginning. There's always like a praise and a rejoicing, and it's scripture. You're just praying scripture. So if you need help, that's a great place, or you just open the Bible, go to the Psalms, but try every day to spend some intentional time first pausing, quieting ourselves before God. I would recommend setting a little timer. I try to set a timer for like two minutes. We can do anything for two minutes. You wouldn't believe how hard it is to do two minutes, but I would suggest you start there. Um, and just being quiet before God, then reading a little bit of scripture and praying it like it's your own. And then keep going. Say whatever you need. Pray from there. Does that make sense, everybody? Okay. Um, so we're going to close in prayer, but we're going to keep... I'm going to close my sermon in prayer. Let me be specific. But we are going to keep rejoicing, right? We're going to rejoice in communion. We're going to rejoice in worship, uh, musical worship. <laughs> so why don't I pray for us as we close? We love you, Lord. Your mercies never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. God, we pray that you would touch our hearts and help us to know you more as we turn towards you this week. As we flex our rejoicing muscles, would you meet us in that space? And God, I pray for those who are, are not sure. They're not sure if they can trust you. They're not sure what they believe about you. I pray that this week you would meet with them in a special way, that you would reveal more of yourself to them through creation, through your word, through people. God, let us never forget to rejoice in the Lord always. As Paul said, let's say it again, rejoice. We love you. We're in awe of you. We're grateful for who you are and what you have done. We thank you for your son. And we pray this in his name. Amen. This morning. What a blessing. Um, man, just as she was, was sharing this morning, I was just thinking about how prayer seems like the simplest thing, but it can be the hardest thing. Uh, because when we pray, we, we bring our whole heart to God, and that can be the hardest thing to do. So my prayer for you this week is just that, that you do it, and that, that you get in a space where you can bring your whole heart before God. Uh, we're going to transition to a time of communion this morning. We have the table set. Um, communion is, is something that Jesus asked us to do to remember him. And so every month we, we spend time just remembering Christ through communion. It's something that is intended for those who profess to be followers of Christ. And um, I just wanted to share, as, as Karma was preaching this morning, I was really drawn to Psalm 
40. She had us walk through Psalm 40. Maybe we could get that back up on the screen. But Psalm 40 is so powerful. And I want you to know this morning that it's something that God has already done, that Jesus has already done. I waited patiently for the Lord, and he turned to me and heard my cry. He lifted me out of the slimy pit, out of the mud and mire. He set my feet on a rock, and he gave me a firm place to stand. This has been done for you in Christ. It's not on the screen, but what I just said has been done for you, that, that Christ has lifted you up out of the slimy pit of your life, that he has put your feet on the rock that he is, and that he has given you a firm place to stand. So I just wanted to hold on to that idea as we transition to a time of communion, as we think about the bread which represents Christ's body, the blood that represents uh, Christ's blood, that this is a work that's already finished, and it was finished for you. And so let me pray, and then after that, uh, Ricky's going to lead us, and, and as, when you're ready, come in and get the juice and the bread, take it back to your seat, and we'll take communion together. Jesus, we just think this morning on your sacrifice for us. God, that your body was broken. God, that your body was, you were, you were tortured, beaten. There were, there's a crown of thorn pressed into your head. Lord, you were nailed to a cross. You were hung there for the world to see. Lord, and that is a finished work. Lord, that should have been us, but it was you. And Lord, we rejoice in that this morning. We rejoice in that. We rejoice in the new life, in the new covenant that your blood brought, that we could have a new relationship with you, that we could have new life. So as we think on what you did for us, we also celebrate, God, what you provided. Thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. So as you feel led, come and grab the, the juice and the